Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitasha Panchatapa Chubisha Kitasindivya Vichapa Chichanam Pavanavyo Vaishnavya Namaha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya November 9th, 2015, Skype class from Hilo, Hawaii, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 7, Further Entries by Vidura, Text 16. Sade Tadra Ritam Vidvan Nat Mamaya Yanam Hare Abyat Yapartam near Mulam Vishramulam Nayad Bani Please chant. Sadhu. Sadhu. As good as it should be. As good as it should be. Etat. All these explanations. All these explanations. Yaritam. Yaritam. Thus spoken. Thus spoken. Vidvan. Vidvan. O learned one. O learned one. Na. Not. 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 Atma. Atma. The self. The self. Maya. Maya. Energy. Energy. Ayanam. Ayanam. Movement. Movement. Hare. Hare. Of the personality of Godhead. Of the personality of Godhead. Abhati. Abhati. Appears. Apartam. Apartam. Without meaning. Without meaning. Nirmulam. Nirmulam. Without basis. Without basis. Vishramulam. Vishramulam. The origin is the supreme. The origin is the supreme. Na. Na. Not. Not. Yat. Yat. Which. Lahi. Outside. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. O learned sage, your explanations are very good, as they should be. Disturbances to the conditioned soul have no basis other than the movement of the external energy of the Lord. Purport. A living entity's unlawful desire to become one with the Lord in every respect is the root cause of the entire material manifestation. For otherwise, the Lord has no need to create such a manifestation, even for his pastimes. The conditioned soul, under the spell of the external energy of the Lord, 
falsely suffers many unfortunate incidents in material life. The Lord is the predominator of the external energy maya, whereas the living entity is predominated by the same maya under the material condition. The false attempt of the living entity to occupy the predominating post of the Lord is the cause of his material bondage, and the conditioned soul's attempt to become one with the Lord is the last snare of maya. Sadyetad vyaritam vidvanatma maya nanam hare O learned sage, your explanations are very good as they should be. Disturbances to the conditioned soul have no basis other than the movement of the external energy of the Lord. So here he's saying, apartam, without meaning, nirmulam, without basis. Avishramulam, the cause of the universe is the supreme. So Vidura is very happy with Maitreya's explanation. He's already said his doubts have been removed and he's uh, praising the explanation of his guru. This nice reciprocation between the teacher and the student where the teacher appreciates the student and the student here is appreciating the teacher. And here Vidura, as the student, is saying there's no meaning there's no basis. There's mula means a, a base, a, a root, like my god sister named Mula Prakriti, the root of the material energy. What is the basis? We have, of course, in the 15th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna talks about the banyan tree, which has its roots upside down, a perverted reflection, as Srila Prabhupada calls it, an upside-down tree. He says, where do you find an upside-down tree? You find an upside-down tree in the water. My parents had this huge oil painting all the whole time I was growing up of trees being reflected upside-down in the water and, and shimmering. So it appears in the reflection that the root is just hanging in the sky. <laughs> But actually, there, there is a root in the reality. So in this world, we struggle to understand why are things happening the way they're happening? Why, why do some people get some good things and I don't? Why does this happen? Why do I get this miseries? And we try to figure out how to manipulate the material energy. We try to become the predominator of the material energy. And when that fails, then we try to become one with God in every respect. In each case, we're still trying to become the predominator, either in a material sense or in a spiritual sense. And because we are not the predominator, what we are doing has no basis, is no, there's no root to it. And it's simply miserable. Like Prabhupada said, we, the jivas can't fall from the Brahma Jyoti because the Brahma Jyoti is already a fallen condition. It's not our natural position. So we have a natural position that's neither as the dominator of illusion nor as being equal with the Lord, merged with him in the Brahma Jyoti. Of course, wanting to be the predominator of illusion, if one thinks about it with a little rationality, is very absurd. Why would one want to dominate an illusion? But of course, that's exactly what we're trying to do. You see people um, trying to master a computer game, but it's just, it's not real. It's just some ones and zeros in a code, or it's just some little bursts of electricity. 
there's, there's not really anything happening. So they become the master. Oh, I've mastered this. I've come to this level. I've gotten so many points. But what have they mastered? They get off the game and they're still poor and uneducated and they haven't mastered anything at all. So we're trying to master this constantly shifting illusion of this world. I'm going to master my country. I'm going to master my political party. I'm going to be the master of my family. Uh, we want to basically master the six opulences. We want to be very beautiful. We want to be very strong and, and healthy. We want to have great wealth. We want to have great knowledge. We want to be well-known. Or we want to be the greatest in renunciation. Some, we want to be some master of the opulences of the Lord. But we cannot do so. The opulences of the Lord are Srimati Radharani, Lakshmi Devi, Sita Devi. Those are the opulences of the Lord. And if we want to master her, then we become a Ravana. And as soon as we try to capture her, she turns into a Durga. <laughs> and like Babishan told Ravana, he said, you think that you have captured a beautiful woman, but actually you captured death. And the only thing Sita brought for him, the only thing Sita brought for him, was destruction and misery. But that was not necessary. His destruction and misery, misery was his own choice by trying to be the predominator of the opulences. So instead, we go back to the actual root. Instead of playing with a reflection that whose root is just kind of waving in the, in the air that's just a reflection on water, we go to the reality. We go to the actual root, and there we surrender and become a servant. And once we do that, then all of our desires are fulfilled. In fact, all of our desires are fulfilled more than we can imagine. All these six opulences which we tried to master, uh, they are really also there. It says that the pleasure potency of Srimati Radharani, not only does she give pleasure to the Lord, but she nourishes the Lord's devotees. Uh, just like a mother, like Prabhupada says, mother hurrah. Right? When you respect the father, the mother is also uh, nourishing you and taking care of you. If you're nasty to your father and you rebel against your father, uh, then your mother is not, she still cares about you, uh, but, uh, you know, your father kicks you out of the house, well, what's your mother going to do? And so, if one actually serves the father, the mother also takes care naturally. So that's the real root to which we should go. Vishramula, the root of the universe, is in the Supreme, Hare, the personality of Godhead. And once we do that, everything we want, everything we want, we have in perfection. So here the point is, the main point of this verse, is that the Lord's existence doesn't depend on the material world. Not only does the... I was all the way back there. Uh, yes. Is that right, Provost? That, yeah. was, that was where it jumped off? Okay. So. Muted. Babishan. Unmuted. Okay. So Babishan told Ravana, he said, you've actually brought death into your house. And it was a fact. As soon as we try to dominate the material energy, as soon as we try to dominate Krishna's opulences, it becomes the material energy and just leads to our destruction. Of course, in, in, a, in our original constitutional position, 
the Ladini Shakti, the spiritual energy, it also nourishes the devotees. So we have all of our desires fulfilled beyond our expectations when we're properly situated. So instead of trying to dominate the material world, instead of trying to be the false dominator, we go to back to our real root. Instead of trying to grab this false root, this thing that has no basis, no meaning, uh, floating in the sky, uh, this a reflection in water, we go to the reality. Now the main point of this verse in purport is beyond the fact of the jiva not having any position in the world, beyond the fact of this world being an illusion for the jiva and the jiva having to go back to the root, the other point is that for the Lord himself there's no need for this world because uh, such was one of the questions of Vidura. Why does the Lord create the world? Not only from the perspective of the jivas, but from his own perspective, is the Lord creating the world, maintaining the world for something that he wants? And I hear this argument a lot that, well, the Lord wants to create the world. In fact, they'll say the Lord is creating the world for his own pastimes, that he has pastimes that can only take place here, and therefore he wants to create the material world, that it's his desire. But Srila Prabhupada is saying very clearly here that such is not the case. He says the Lord has no need to create such a manifestation even for his pastimes. So no blame whatsoever can be attributed to the Lord for the creation of the material world. The creation of the material world, its maintenance, how it works, is completely, entirely, absolutely put on the jivas who desire it, not on the Lord. So as brought up in the previous verses, Vidura asked about the Lord having qualities because the material nature is made of these three qualities. He says, does the Lord have these qualities? The answer is no, he does not. The Lord does not have goodness, passion, and ignorance. Right? Ignorance is the idea that I just that everything's about me, I'm just going to get whatever I want, who cares for the consequences. The Lord has no mood like that. The mood of passion is, I'm the doer, I'm going to enjoy the fruits of my work. Again, the Lord has no mood like that. And the mode of goodness is, I'm going to just be in balance and harmony and one with everything. And even we can say the Lord has not a mood like that. The Lord's mood is one simply of love and of giving. He is self-satisfied. He is self-satisfied. He doesn't even need to be involved in some mode of balance and harmony. In fact, the Lord likes to create leelas where it appears that things become out of balance, where it appears that his cowherd boys defeat him in battle and, and so many things. He enjoys the, the tension and the conflict of a, of a good story, but yet he has no sense of doership. Everything's already there. As he said to Rukmini, in their little mock argument when she said well you don't own anything that's true because you are everything and he agreed yes I am everything she said okay if you are everything that can say that you're not the owner why would he have any need to be doing and accomplishing everything is there instantly by his own will and everything is already complete Om Purnam Madha Purnam he has no need to strive for anything nor does he have any arrogance about him when, when the Lord says, you know, Aham Sarvasya Prabhupada, that's not arrogance. It's just simply truth. 
In fact, the Lord is full of humility. He is humbly serving his devotees. Right, he tells Nalakuvera and Manigriva that you are greatly benefited because you saw Narada Muni. He doesn't say, you're greatly benefited because you've seen me. Right, that's what I would say. I'd say, oh, here I am, I'm God. How fortunate you are that you're seeing me. And No, Krishna says, how fortunate you are that you've seen my devotee. So he doesn't have any of these modes. He uses the material modes to create the false sense of doership in the living entity because that's what the living entity wants. The living entity wants, I want to feel that I am the master. I want to feel that I am the doer. You know, okay, here's this illusion of time with its cause and effect. And here's this, these three modes to bewilder you in different ways. And now you can think that you are the master of the opulences. But Krishna is ever seated as though neutral. And the jiva's knowledge is simply covered due to this illusion. Our knowledge of the reality of Krishna, our knowledge that he has no need for the world, that he exists separate from the world, or that even the energy of illusion is simply part of his completeness. And this becomes covered whenever we want to become the predominant. If we, if we analyze honestly, which frankly is a very difficult thing to do, we'll see that every action we take within our material life is dictated by this desire to be the predominator. Even when we become a devotee of the Lord, generally we are doing so to try to predominate. Generally our motives at first, as Krishna explains in the Bhagavad Gita, are bhukti and mukti. We want some material opulence, we want to become free from distress, we want our curiosity satisfied. Uh, or we, we want to expand our knowledge in, in Brahman. And we find this as we go on chanting Hare Krishna, worshipping the deity, reading the scriptures, going to holy places, being with the sadhus. We find more and more that we see that our real motive for our actions is I want to be the predominator. I want to be the doer. I want to be the enjoyer. And I may switch from trying to do so grossly, materially, to wanting to do so as a devotee. I want to be the best devotee. I'm just studying the conversation between Mahaprabhu and Ramananda Roy. You know, who is the most famous? Oh, the devotee of the Lord is the most famous. What is the best education? What is the best this? And we may think, oh, I'm singing the best songs about Radha and Krishna. I am the best educated in Krishna consciousness. I am the most famous as a devotee. In fact, Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur Rupa Goswami explains that as one advances in devotional service, one gets, uh, in one sense, even more opulence than the non-devotees. And one can become attached to this. Oh, now I have achieved this. Or one can achieve mystic powers. Oh, wow, now I'm really enjoying the material world. So this is the root of our illusion, this wanting to be the doer, this wanting to be famous, this wanting to be honored, this wanting to be the predominator. And if we think that, oh, well, I don't have these, I, I simply want to be a servant, then we can notice what happens when these are not given. When someone disrespects us, when someone dishonors us, when someone criticizes us, when we don't get what we want, how do we respond? Do we say, well, I'm a devotee, you know, well, well what's going on here? Devotees are supposed to treat each other with respect. We find this kind of reaction frequently. 
people will even leave the process of Krishna consciousness because, you know, their guru didn't treat them with respect or that some temple president didn't treat them with respect. I thought devotees are all supposed to be nice, they'll say. So, of course, we should treat each other with respect, undoubtedly. But when we become offended that we don't get that, then we have an indication of what we were really after, what was our real motive. And this motive is what's covering us with illusion. The illusion that uh, the Lord is not the predominator. The illusion that I am not the predominated. That I am the predominator and I can be the master. What is it? The master of the world, the captain of the ship, the master of my soul, and so forth. But factually, the, the Lord is always the predominator, and his existence doesn't depend on the material world at all. Many times people would say to Srila Prabhupada, suppose everybody became a devotee, what would happen to the world? And Prabhupada said, there's no need of the world. He said, it's like saying if everybody became a good citizen, what would happen to the prison houses? We could close them. You know, there, there's no need. The government doesn't need to have a prison house. We don't need to have wars. Right? And, and what would happen if there were no more wars? Well, then everybody would live in peace. What would happen if there's no more criminals? We close the prison house. We don't have to have wars and crime. Of course, in the material world, there's always wars and crime. Even the demigods are engaging in wars. Right? Even Lord Shiva, Kartikeya, they're fighting wars. Brahma doesn't seem to fight wars. He just watches them. But Indra is fighting. All the way up to Lord Shiva is also fighting. Having different wars. And there's crimes committed among the demigods also. There's theft. There's adultery. There's so many things. But that's not necessary. So there's no, nece- there's no necessity for the living entity to rebel against God. Like when uh, Vasudev asked uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you please give me all the karma of all the living entities. Now, who would ask for that, right? I don't even want to suffer my own karma. <laughs> I'd rather give my karma to somebody else. <laughs> but Vasudev says, I'll take everybody's karma. Right? I don't want to take anybody's karma. I don't even want my own. But he says, give me everybody's karma so they'll all be liberated. And Mahaprabhu said this. It's not hard to liberate everybody. He said, each universe is like one tiny mustard seed in a bag of mustard seeds. And the whole material creation is just in a little corner of the spiritual reality. It's, it's insignificant to the Lord who's full of all opulences. You know, if you have a big palace. What do you care about the, the prison, even if it's a very wonderful prison, even if it's a very magical prison? Now, one may ask, well, what about the Lord's pastimes that do seem to be dependent on the material world? And in fact, Rupa Goswami says the earthly Mathura, in one sense, is higher than Vaikuntha, because the Lord has his pastimes there. And we hear that these childhood pastimes of the Lord they only go on in the material world, that in the spiritual world there's no birth. So there's no appearance of the Lord as the son of Devaki and being carried across the Jamuna and so forth and so on. And, and also that there's no killing of demons because there's no demons in the spiritual world. Of course, the Bhagavatam has that verse that in the spiritual world both the demons and the devotees worship the Lord. And Sanatana Goswami describes in Brihad Bhagavatamrita how some of the residents of Vaikuntha have an appearance like demons. 
He's talking about standing at the gates of Vaikuntha, and some of the residents have uh, Swarupka Mukti. They have forms just like the Lord or forms just like Lakshmi, but others have many different forms, like humans, like demigods, uh, like animals, like birds, like, like demons also. But there's no actual demons in the spiritual world because everyone there has acknowledged the root Jivara Swarupaya Krishna Dasa. I am a servant of Krishna. So how could Krishna fight with the demons and how could Krishna uh, take birth if there was no material world? Uh, but he can do so. Vishnu Chagavati Thakur talks about uh, it's something that Srila Prabhupada refers to quite often how the reason that we can say the Lord's material pastimes are eternal is that as soon as they end in one universe they begin in another. There's a nice class Prabhupada gives in Australia where he says how Krishna stays in this material world for 125 years by our calculation and then he appears in another universe and he comes once in every day of Lord Brahma so many billions and billions of years and that's simply how long it takes for him to make the rounds like when I was working in a government school, public school and there were 22 classrooms so I would visit each classroom every day but if you go to each classroom for five minutes you know that takes you over an hour and then of course you have to walk between classrooms so you know, about an hour and a half just to uh, briefly visit each classroom. So it takes one whole day's of, day of Lord Brahma for Krishna to drop by in each universe for 125 years. But in this way, the pastimes are, are eternal. They're always going on. So Vishnu Chakravati Thakur says, what happens What happens during Lord Brahma's uh, death? When Lord Brahma is, is dead and the whole universe is wound up into Mahavishnu and everything becomes again the Pradhan, so he said there's some shadow existence where the Lord is again having the kind of pastimes that go into the material world, some more subtle existence. The point being that the Lord does not need the material creation in order to have his pastimes. He can even have his devotees, like he did with Jai and Vijay, take the role of demons, or like when Krishna was fighting with Jambavan and Jambavan was not aware while he was fighting of the Lord's opulences. Uh, so Krishna can accomplish everything with yoga maya that is done with mahamaya. It's not any requirement. Yes. So altogether we come to the conclusion that Krishna is not responsible, as he says in the Bhagavad Gita, I am not responsible for the sins and piety of the living entity. That he is not at all responsible for this material world that uh, we cannot blame him for our sufferings. Even sometimes devotees will say, well, this is my purification. But as we've said before, if the doctor gives you some medicine, the, and the medicine may be painful. The treatment may be painful. But the doctor's doing that to cure you. The doctor, it's not that the doctor has some malice. So even we can say that our suffering is arranged by God, our suffering is arranged by God because we're diseased and we're diseased because we are holding on to this disease. So we need to go back to the root, Mula, I said here. We need to go back to Hari as the root. And we go back to Hari as the root not by becoming one with him, but by becoming a servant. So I, I find it again quite fascinating that even as devotees, we can go back to Hari but in the mood of a master. So I, I posted something on, on Facebook the other day, Jivaraswarapaya Krishna Nitridas, Ekaraswar Krishna, Arasava Bhutya. Krishna is the only master, 
everyone is a servant. We are all eternally Krishna's servants. And someone who's ostensibly a devotee objected and said, oh, this is Mayavadi philosophy, trying to make everyone a servant. Actually, the women are servants and the men are the masters. <laughs> I thought how, how amusing this is and how unfortunate. So even as devotees, we may try uh, to become the predominators. Even as spiritualists, as spiritualists may try to merge into the Lord, or as devotees, we may try to become the, the masters, we may try to be the predominated, we may try to be the most famous, we may try to be the most uh, adored, or whatever. Or uh, No, we have to go back to the root. Otherwise, we are staying in the illusion. This illusion has been created to facilitate our desire to be the predominator. We must go back to the root. I am Krishna's servant. And to learn to be happy with that. Let the glory come to my master. Let the glory come to my master. Just like a minister for the government, the diplomat for the government, the soldier, the spy, everything they do, the glory goes to their government. Or in sports, whatever the player does, the glory goes to the team. Right? So the glory should go to God. Whatever we do, let the glory go to God. Let God be glorified. Uh, for very good and, and right reasons, we talk a lot about in the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, putting Srila Prabhupada in the center. That, that's a good thing. But Srila Prabhupada actually didn't want to be at the center. He wanted Krishna to be at the center. He didn't call his movement A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada movement. You know, most other spiritual movements are known by the name of their founder. But he didn't do that. He said, no, no, Krishna is at the center. Krishna is at the center. Let Krishna be glorified. Anything Prabhupada did, he would say, this is Krishna's mercy, or this is my Guru Maharaja's mercy. To learn to do that. Then we go back to the root. And then we might say, what about me? <laughs> but Krishna also glorifies the devotees. After Krishna left the planet, Arjuna was talking to Yudhisthira and saying, it was only by Krishna that I was able to cross over the ocean of great aquatics like Bhijma and Drona. I personally didn't have the strength, but by Krishna's mercy I could do it. By Krishna's mercy I could string my Gandiva bow. Now I can't do any of it, Arjuna said. It was all Krishna. But Krishna on the battlefield, he glorified Arjuna. He was just there as the chariot driver. So this is the irony. When we agree to become the predominated, when we agree to become the servant, then Krishna glorifies the devotee above himself. He makes the devotee his mother. He makes the devotee his, um, his equal friend or his beloved. And he puts himself in a subordinate position and the devotee gets glorified. We say Radha Krishna. We put Radha's name before Krishna's. How amazing, right, in the material life. And it's not like that. But Krishna wants to glorify his devotees. So everything we want, we can find in Krishna. We don't need to go into some... The material world doesn't need to exist for Krishna's sake. It doesn't need to exist for our sake. It doesn't need to exist for anything. We have no reason to stay in illusion. There's no justification. There's nothing to find here. It's... it's it's an ephemeral, flickering place, an ephemeral, flickering mentality. 
And as soon as we get the mentality that Krishna is the root, that Krishna is the predominator, and I am the predominated, I am the servant, then the illusion vanishes even though we remain in this body and even though we remain in this world externally. The illusion vanishes in Premanjana Charita Bhakti Vilochanena Santa Sadaivarudaya Shivilokayanti Yamshana Sundaravachinchaginasrupam. Then we see Krishna everywhere. So, questions or comments? Anybody? For conditioned nature that's also part of our uh, eternal nature, do we have anything to do with who we really are? No. No. Nothing, huh? no. So we're held accountable, but yet we're, we don't know anything who we are. Well, we're held accountable in illusion. The accountability is an illusion, too. All the suffering and enjoyment is all just an illusion. Well, it's like uh, what he says in the beginning is material miseries are superfluous to the living entity. They can be directly mitigated by the process of bhakti yoga. Exactly. It, it's something like. You know, you're playing a game. I give this analogy a lot. You know, you're playing a Monopoly game. And in the Monopoly game, you're a piece on the board. So you're winning and losing. You're responsible for your actions in the game. And you get reactions in the game. But none of it's happening to you. None of it's real. No matter how much money you make in Monopoly, it doesn't affect your actual bank account. Whatever properties you get in Monopoly or lose in Monopoly doesn't affect your actual properties. Your your position remains untouched. And the the piece you're identifying with has nothing to do with actually who you are. Nothing. Or, you know, you're in a, a drama. You're playing a role in a play and you take on a character. I mean, we used to play the Ramayan and Loka Mangala Prabhu used to play Ravana. So he was a very good Ravana. I mean, he was so good. I, I remember my son, when he was four, would, would hide under my sari, hide under the top part of my sari, you know, to get away from Ravana. Uh, but in real life, Lokamangala was a very mild-mannered, pleasant, sweet brahmachari. You know? I mean, he, was, he wasn't a lusty person. He wasn't an angry person. He was, he was a very balanced and wonderful person. So it's like that. We're taking on different roles here. And the roles we take on have nothing to do with us. But our accountability is, is also with an illusion. We're not really experiencing the results of our actions. We're not really experiencing our karma. We're not really doing our karma. And we're not really experiencing our karma. We're just the observers. We're just the witness. And, and we're experiencing it because we're identifying with it, because we want to identify with it. We want it very strongly. Is that all right? And there's no, core, there's no core elements that just get perverted, re- reflected into the material energy from the soul itself? No. No, the, the particular personality and the particular individuality of each of us may have absolutely nothing to do with our personality in this life or in other lives. I mean, coincidentally, that's going to happen sometimes. You know, if we're a cowherd boy in the spiritual world, we're also going to get some male human bodies. So in the lifetime that we have a male human body, 
there's something in common between our spiritual identity and that particular material identity, but that's just coincidental. You know, there are people in female human bodies who are actually cowherd boys and people who are male human bodies who are gopis. So, you know, there are there are people who in their spiritual form are very shy and in their that particular lifetime are very loud and outgoing. And you can't really see the, not for a conditioned soul. I mean, even a liberated soul, even a pure devotee may play a role in the world that's different from their eternal nature. They play a role in the in the lila. I mean, we don't say that Bhakti Vinodakura, Bhakti Sananda Sarasvati, you know, we not we don't say that the nature that they exhibited in this world is exactly their nature in the spiritual world. You know, Bhakti Sananda Sarasvati is this Simha Guru. He's this lion-like creature where people are crossing the street to avoid him, but he's a little he's a little manjari gopi. So, you know, is is his eternal nature manifesting? in this role, maybe, maybe not. But what to speak of our conditioned souls. No, we can't understand. I mean, as I say, it may be circumstantial. One may awaken and see, oh, I like to serve Krishna in such and such a way, and it may be that I also like to do those things in this particular life, uh, externally. That may happen, but that's more just like the random chance rather than anything else. So our desire then for developing Krishna consciousness, that's from the conditioned nature? Oh no, that's from the soul. That's the so that first, that's the first, that's the soul waking up and saying, you know, it, it starts with just what's going on around here. What's, this is just, as Bhakti Vinod Thakur says, you know, this world is very strange, he says. So I compare, compare that because the world's often compared to a dream. Sometimes in a dream, you think, am I dreaming? What, there's something wrong here. You know, I, I'm eating all this food and I'm still hungry. What, what's happening here? And every once in a while, the living entity in the human form has such a breakthrough of consciousness of the soul. You know, most human beings have such breakthrough moments in their life where they say, is, is this it? Is, is, is that it? Is that all there is to life? I, I got the house and the cars and the attractive spouse and the beautiful smart kids and the dog and the TV and my football team won and is that it? That, that, that's it? You know, my, my soccer team won and life didn't change. I, I got my degree, I got my honor, I got made head of this and that organization and you know, I had a big birthday party with 5,000 people coming and, and it didn't it didn't matter is that it? is that all there is here? what's going on? Who, who am I? why am I suffering? why can't I seem to control you know those questions that's from the soul that's the soul starting to stir as much as 
in a dream the waking consciousness can sometimes intrude and you become aware that there's something wrong now for most conditioned souls they just go right back to sleep I mean I, I remember vividly when I was 13 I was babysitting some kids and I started thinking what's the purpose of life what's the meaning of life and I thought well the meaning of life is to be happy and then I made a little list of what I had in the material world well I'm getting good grades in school and I have friends and you know I made this list and I looked at the list and I said oh I guess I'm happy <laughs> you know how ridiculous but this, this is what the conditioned souls do. You know, they start to awaken and then they just kind of push it down again. Like sometimes in the morning we start to wake up and then we go back to sleep and then maybe wake up a little again and we go back to sleep. But no, that is the soul. And the yearning of the soul for the service of the Lord, that is, that's not coming from the material most, although it may be mixed with the most. Lord Kapiladev says there's devotional service performed in, in ignorance and passion and in goodness. There's, you know, the Sakham and devotions. So the, the yearnings of the soul may still be mixed with the, with the false identity. Like this devotee who said, no, you know, the, the male devotees are supposed to be the masters. They're supposed to be the predominators, you know. <laughs> so he's, he's mixing his his idea of devotion with his false identity. So that's, that's going to happen. And gradually and proportionally, Prabhupada says, our, the soul starts to become more and more active and the false identity starts to decrease. And such is explained very nicely in Madhurya Kadambini, that one's false sense of self decreases in proportion to the awakening of the real self, the real soul. Now, of course... As long as we have this body and as long as we're in this world, even if the real self is completely awakened, still one's going to act externally as a sadhaka according to one's position. You know, we don't follow the sake bakis where, you know, the men dress up as gopis or something like that. That's, uh, that's not what we do. Whatever our, our nature of this body and this mind is within this world, we're still going to serve Krishna according to that machine, even if internally we fully awaken to who we are. You know, it's, it may come through sometimes for such persons. I mean, we see that among the liberated devotees, sometimes their eternal personality is, is evident, and even to external vision. I mean, even Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had his external consciousness, internal consciousness, and mixed consciousness what to speak of for us ordinary jivas who are in conditioned life. But there does reach a point where our real nature, our real personality is fully manifest at least to ourselves, that we become fully aware of who we are. Open conscious. Yes. That we cease all identification with the body and the mind. It's also explained in the scripture that at that point Krishna is keeping the body and mind going. You know, one can be at a state where one is totally absorbed in one's eternal position. And it's explained just like a drunk person doesn't know if they have clothes on or not. So the fully realized devotee is hardly aware of the actions of their body and mind in the world. They're satisfied. Yes. 
And the congestion stall is, is insatiable. Yes, yes. And as we talked about in the previous verses, that one becomes an observer of the world and a participant in the Leela. Thank you. Anybody else? Very inspirational. Krishna is very kind. Thank you. Prabhupada is very kind. Anybody else have a question or comment? Oops. No, Nari has. I had to meet him. So now I've got to go back. Sorry, Nari. Now, uh, this, that was a beautiful class. Now, the uh, question that I have is, well, what you are describing is the process of self-realization. Yes. And, uh, different teachers, different masters from different traditions also discuss that process of self-realization. It's just that our process of self-realization is based on the teachings of Srila Prabhupada. Yes. But uh, what do you think about other traditions and other groups, spiritual groups, that may also have achieved that process of self-realization. Well, Krishna himself in the Bhagavad Gita gives different processes, all bona fide, of self-realization. He explains karma yoga, jnana yoga, dhyana yoga, and bhakti yoga. He gives four processes. And then he also gives lesser processes which may come to self-realization. You know, he says if you can't engage in this, then you can... Uh, do spiritual work, you can engage in charity, you can, you know, so he also talks about sacrificing for the demigods, he talks about giving in charity and cultivating knowledge, but as far as transcendent processes, he gives four main categories. So if someone's teaching a process that is within those four main categories, if such a person's process is based on Shastra, uh, then they can also achieve the supreme goal. One of the things I, I really liked and continue to like about Srila Prabhupada is that he was not sectarian. Srila Prabhupada never said that it's only through uh, ISKCON or it's only through Gaudiya Vaishnavism or it's only through the four Vaishnava Sampradayas that one can achieve pure self-realization. In fact, uh, Srila Prabhupada said in regard to the first offense on chanting not to blaspheme the devotees of the Lord, he said one should not blaspheme Jesus and Mohammed because they're also teaching the process of self-realization. But you'll find it's always in one of those, if it's bona fide, it's in one of those categories. It's karma yoga, jnana yoga, jnana yoga, or bhakti yoga, or some mix of those categories. And uh, some years ago, a devotee recommended that I read a book by St. Teresa of Avila who lived in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's time. Uh, She was a Carmelite nun in Spain. She was following the four regular principles. And she talks about a progression uh, that certainly seems to parallel that which Rupa Goswami describes as as Shraddha to Prema. And she talks about Madhurya Rasa and Madhurya Prema. So we have, you know, and one of her one person she was associated with St. John of the Cross who also lived about 500 years ago he also spoke about how God was ultimately romantic for which he was persecuted by the church by the way and if we look within any traditions uh, St. Francis of Assisi certainly appears to be at least Paramatma realized if not Bhagavan realized so we will find that there's great saints and sadhus within any bona fide tradition of course there's a lot of bogus traditions too I mean 
it, it's just like there's a lot of universities that all teach some the truth in their own way. And then there's also just cheating universities. Just pay me $100 and I'll give you a piece of paper that says you have a PhD. So there's certainly cheaters that, you know, that say, I, I remember seeing these signs in Northwestern University campus like 40 years ago. You know, so-and-so teacher and just meditate for six months and you'll become God. So that's... That's not bona fide. One has to discriminate what's bona fide and what's bogus. But sure, there are other bona fide methods. We're not the only one teaching a bona fide method. Now, having said that, the problem is that the problem is that even bona fide methods get very quickly corrupted in the material world. Everything tends towards entropy. Everything tends towards destruction. And such is the case also with Vaishnavism. Such is the case also with Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Even in the 500 and so years since Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance, there's been a number of times when the Vaishnav Siddhanta and practice had to be revived. Bhaktivinoda Thakur revived it. Bhakti Siddhanta revived it. We could say Shiva Prabhupada revived it. And Prabhupada says as soon as the Acharya leaves, everything becomes disordered. So it's just like your room. You know, how often do you need to clean your room? You can't clean your room once a year. So it's a very similar thing that even in a bona fide religious system, it tends to very quickly degrade to something mixed. Very, very quickly. Even if it starts out as pure bhakti, it starts becoming karma mishra bhakti or gyan mishra bhakti or dhyan mishra bhakti. Uh, soon it can go to karma khanda. And we even have religions that go to the mode of ignorance. You know, that someone says, oh, our religion is all about is killing anybody who doesn't agree with us and, and so forth and so on. So I don't think that we should take the, the mood that my religion is the best religion and it's always the best religion and it's always, you know, <laughs> that's, that's absurd. Uh, don't you think that maybe some religions or groups, maybe they reach partial self-realization? Is that oh, definitely. possible? Definitely. Well, first of all, some religions or groups, most of their adherents are just going to the higher planets. Because that's where they want to go. I mean, you've got a religion where they all want to become Lord Brahma of the universe. That's what they want. So there are some religions where they're just going to a higher planet. There are some religions where they're becoming, you know, one with the Brahma Jyoti. There are some religions where they're going to the planet of the Paramatma. There are some religions where they're going to Vaikuntha. You know, and how many how many religions are even aiming at Goloka Vrindavan? Now, having said that, Krishna can appear to anyone in any religion. I mean. As I said, St. Teresa of Avila, she was experiencing Madhurya Prema, apparently at least from her writings and from her symptoms. Although that wasn't the overt teachings of her tradition. So she was able to go beyond the teachings of her tradition, at least the overt, what was being taught by her teachers. She went beyond them. I, I compare this to sometimes a child in primary school and elementary school 
is functioning at a PhD level of mathematics. They sur they've surpassed their teachers. And there are some people in a PhD program in Harvard who are just getting drunk every night and aren't going to graduate. So you have two things. You have the, the system itself, and then you have the individual. Of course, generally speaking, we can expect that only individuals in a system that teaches the highest reality will achieve that reality. You know, we wouldn't expect that most people in a system that doesn't teach about the Loka Vrindavan will attain the Loka Vrindavan because they're not meditating on it, they're not aspiring for it. However, Krishna being independent can reveal himself beyond the scope of that tradition. And we also, uh, frankly, have to say that even people in the Gaudiya tradition, some of them may just be going to the heavenly planet. You know, that, that depends on them. They may uh, externally, ostensibly, be worshipping Krishna in Goloka Vrindavan, and maybe they'll attain that eventually, but that may not be what they're really aspiring to in this life. You know, it, it could be really what they're, that they're really worshipping Krishna in this life to merge into the Brahma Jyoti, or they're really worshipping Krishna to go to the heavenly planet, or to go to Vaikuntha. So that's, that's also there. You know, there was this, um, pretty sure it's with Raghunath Bhatta Goswami, pretty sure that when he was going to see Lord Chaitanya, he met up with this devotee called Ramdas. And Ramdas was serving Raghunath Bhatta Goswami, and he was even carrying his bags, and he was always chanting the name of Ram. But when he came to see Lord Chaitanya, Lord Chaitanya ignored him because he could understand that his chanting had the purpose of merging into the Brahma Jyoti. So we're very, very fortunate that we have a system that's teaching us ultimate self-realization, and then we need to also go for ultimate self-realization. But in any case, there are other people becoming, certainly there are other people on this planet becoming partially self-realized, and perhaps fully self-realized in other systems. That is certainly the truth. However, I, in my opinion, it's only within the Gaudiya Sampradaya that large numbers of people are achieving that because that's what we're overtly aiming for and that's what our process is explicitly heading for in these other processes to achieve that full realization of the Loka Vrindavan there's it's not going to be very common you're not going to have the support of your scriptures, you're not going to have the support of your Sangha you're not going to have the support of your holy places. You're not going to have the support of your prayers, of your practices. You don't have anything that's supporting you. Anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah, thank you. Anybody else? I'm going to unmute Nari. There's a little bit too much noise coming. But Nari, did you want to see something? I did. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, thanks. Uh, Mother Emily, you were speaking early in the class about the very exalted personalities that are so compassionate that they were willing to accept others' karma. Like, like Vasudev Dat, for example, who said, you know, let everyone 
But every living being go back to the spiritual world, my own will, I will stay in yeah. and accept all their karma. I mean, we can't even conceive of that. No. But you made you made a point <clears throat> yesterday, the last your last class. I guess that was on Friday, and um, what really caught my interest. And then somebody asked me a question right when you were getting ready to continue that point, and it ties into what you were saying. I didn't hear what you said. You were talking about um, persons who are desirous, not necessarily for materialistic reasons, but genuinely desirous to accept a disciple. Mm. And then you say, well, of course, there's a lot of, of talk in ISKCON. In, in different directions about that. And mm. I was wondering, what, what did you say, and could you elaborate on that? Well, there is a letter Srila Prabhupada wrote that the, to one disciple. He said that your desire to be Jagat Guru is a spiritual desire. It's, it's an interesting letter. He says, but first you have to become free of sex desire. How are you going to become Jagat Guru if you have sex desire? He said, but your desire to be Jagat Guru is a spiritual desire. So, what is a guru? A guru is one who teaches others Krishna consciousness and helps them in their Krishna consciousness. And when we put it that way, we immediately recognize that at least it has the potential of being a spiritual desire. If someone says, I want to go to such and such place where there's no temple and no devotees, I want to start a temple, I want to make devotees, I want to write brochures and magazines to help them become devotees and have kirtans and I'll... I'm going to mentor them, and I'm going to have a series of, of classes. To, we'd say, wow, that's wonderful. You know, would we say to them, oh, you're just doing this for personal aggrandizement? Probably not. We would see it as a spiritual service desire, but that's what being a guru is. It, it, you know, as soon as you put the word guru on it, and then people say, oh, you, you're just materially motivated. Of course, people can be materially motivated to be a guru. You can be materially motivated to be a little quiet pujari. You know, you can be materially motivated to, to be, well, almost anything can be done with a material motive. But, There's a fa- the famous verse of Mahaprabhu Jari Dakotari Koho Krishna Upadesh. Yes. Amar Agyai. Amar Agyai means by my order. My Amar order. Agyai Guruyai Tare Desh. Yes. And, and there's, there's statements and letters by Prabhupada where he said that he wanted all of his disciples to accept disciples yes. and in this way spread this movement. Well, but that, yet in this kind, yeah. if someone says, well, you know, I, I, you know, I'm willing to accept disciples, it's like, well, it, that's Maya. Exactly. As soon as somebody says, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to be a guru, or I want to be a guru, then immediately that's understood as a disqualification. Which is wrong. It's, it really doesn't make sense. Can be right. it, can be, it can be right and it can be wrong. Well, it's like everything else. If I say I want to dress the deities, that, my saying I want to dress the deities doesn't indicate my motive. I could have a, a 100% pure motive and I could have a 1% pure motive. You know, the fact that I want to dress the deities is not indicative of why I want to dress the deities. But to, if, if we, again, if we break down guru, in, the job of guru, the service of guru, into its components, then we see that all of those components are things that we encourage devotees to do. We encourage all devotees to be guru. We do. We say, go out and preach, spread Krishna consciousness, take responsibility for teaching people in Krishna consciousness. 
But as soon as someone says, oh, that means I'm a guru. No, 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 you're not a guru. But that's what a guru is. I mean, there's, um, there's some places in the world where every devotee has to have a mentor. And in fact, if you want the local temple to recommend you for initiation, you also have to have a local mentor. So I talked to one of the people who engineered this system and I said, then you're requiring people to have two gurus. You're requiring them to have the person they want as their Diksha guru and their local mentor. And they said, no, no, the mentor is a friend. And I said, well, the dictionary definition of mentor is a teacher or a guru. And they're, they're not acting in the capacity of friend, they're acting in the capacity of guru. Oh, no, 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 they're not a guru, they're a mentor. So somehow if you call it mentor, instead of calling it guru, then it's good and it's spiritual. And if you call it guru, then there's something wrong with it. So this situation is very strange. That's all I can say. It's very strange. Yeah. It, has, it has some historical roots in the history of ISKCON itself. Why we think like that. Uh, we also, there's some, you know, there's some roots in, in especially what happened between like 78 to 86 in ISKCON, which is really what's feeding that mood. You know, and the, even it's still going on to some extent today where particularly a Diksha guru has institutional status above everyone else and is, is not just for the disciples but in the movement in general. And this giving of institutional status to Diksha gurus makes it look like the word guru has some sort of temporal, you know, worldly power. And, and, and I, I believe that that's where the confusion comes from. Whereas we don't see that if you start a preaching center in some place and you make 5,000 devotees, all of whom you are mentoring and guiding, and all of those 5,000 people become wonderful ladies and gentlemen and advanced in Krishna consciousness, you're doing so doesn't give you some sort of uh, worldly institutional power. We don't give somebody institutional power just because they've done that. I mean, I know a couple who went to a country where there were no devotees. They set up a system for teaching Krishna consciousness. And they went from a place where there was not one single devotee of Krishna, a Muslim country, they made 2,000 devotees. Wow. And they, they did it by developing uh, the whole system of bhakti vriksha and by empowering other people. But they were the main guides and mentors of all the devotees there. But no one sees them as, oh, well, you're gurus and you have some big position of power in the society. They're not, they're not introduced, oh, these are, these are people who are you know, great, pure devotees that everybody should wash their feet. But they are great devotees, and they are gurus. They just don't have the title put on. And, and people are not going to look at what they've done and continue to do and say, well, you must have ill motives for doing it. Whereas if they were to give themselves the title of guru, 
and they were to initiate people, then immediately somebody would say, oh, you're, you're ill-motivated. So this is the... Somehow if you do the job without the title, then it's okay, and as soon as you take the title, it's not okay. And it, as soon as you call what you're doing by its actual name, then all of a sudden it, there's something funny about it. So that, again, it's, it's rooted in our history, it's rooted in our our present institutional policies, and I personally hope that we come to a point where such is not the case, where we have tens of thousands of gurus or hundreds of thousands of gurus, and gurus are seen for what they are, teachers and preachers of Krishna consciousness acting under the order of their guru and acting under the order of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as humble servants. Okay, I need to go now. Thank you very much. Thank you.